We've been actually looking at the travels of the Apostle Paul and the different churches that he, actually the churches that he established, the different cities and towns that he went to. Uh, we end the series not with the Apostle Paul, however, we end it with the Apostle John. And uh, John is the one, as you saw in the video clip, that uh, was responsible for receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is, of course, the last book in the Bible, Moira, the last book of the Bible. The, which number is this book? Very good. It's a 66th Bible uh, book. And um, I will tell you this. Uh, I read the book of Revelation. I, I think I mentioned this in the past when I was just a, a young boy, probably about uh, 10, 11, and was absolutely mesmerized by it. And th there's a promise at the beginning of this book that says that all who read this book will be blessed. And I can tell you that reading that book as a young boy had a huge impact on me. It was actually on a summer vacation, I had the time to do it, and uh, just devoured it, couldn't get enough of it, wanted to read all that I could, and didn't want to stop. A huge, huge blessing in that book. Why? Because, first of all, it tells us of what is to come, and uh, secondly, it tells us that after all of the problems, all of the persecution, all of the struggles, all the heartache, all the pain, all the problems, all the wars, all the fighting, all the death, all the martyrs, at the end of it all, we win. Hallelujah! <laughs> yeah, we win. Now, the thing is this, is we're not there yet. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we live until we get to the place where we can say, we win. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Revelation chapter 1. And it's, Revelation chapter 1 is uh, typically is a, is a chapter we read through quickly to get to the, to the good stuff. But I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture. I don't know if you can, can you see that all right? Uh, let's, let's read it together just to make sure that uh, you're still with me here. Uh, I, John... Your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Did you have any problem pronouncing those church names? Uh, you don't have to go to Bible school to learn that. You need to go to Wee College to learn that. Uh, I actually had the privilege of visiting all of these sites. Um, uh, there are churches in, in many of those towns. Some of them are they're, they're no longer towns. They're just archaeological sites. Um, I can tell you it was, it was pretty thrilling to realize that these were, were all major sites where, where churches had been planted, many by the Apostle Paul. It, what is sad to see, though, is that today in most of the sites there is very little to nothing left of, of the church. Uh, we were in Ephesus a few years ago. Ephesus is, uh, again, it's an archaeological site, and just off this side there's another small town, but very little or nothing when it comes to the influence of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask a question this morning. How does, how does God expect us to live? 
In order to have the fire and the excitement, the enthusiasm that we see in the early church. In these opening words of Revelation, we see a snapshot of what the early church was like. Now, when you, when you preach a message out of Revelation, most people would naturally assume that we're going to talk about what? The end of the world, right? And I could talk about that, especially in light of what we've seen happen in the last numbers of, of weeks and months. We, the economic disasters throughout the world. Uh, how many saw that Manhattan was flooded? Did you see that on the news this morning? I mean, it's pretty startling to see someone going down streets of Manhattan in a, in a dinghy. Uh, and yet, uh, Jesus told us that this is what we could expect in the last days. Uh, we could talk about the, the droughts and the famine in uh, Eastern Africa right now. Absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And yet Jesus warned of all these things. We could talk about the pestilence. We could talk about um, the tornadoes. I just got an email from my father-in-law showing me some of the pictures taken. Uh, in, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Goodrich or Godrich? Godrich, I got it right there. Uh, did you see those pictures? It's, just, it's, it's really apocalyptic. Jesus said that this is what happened in the last days. Here's the thing. We, we, we hear about the last days, and we are tempted to become worried and fearful. And yet Jesus said, don't be worried, don't be fearful. See to it that you don't let these things drag you down or, or make you give up in fear. How do we cope with this? How do we face these times that we live in? Jesus calls us to be part of his family and to live as part of his family. And we see here in this passage of Scripture this morning a snapshot of what this life that we're supposed to live looks like. Anybody ever hear or see the movie Jurassic Park? Anybody see that? Anybody? Anybody terrified by that? I was when I was younger. I'm not anymore. I'm growing up. not so afraid of that. But I like the science in that movie. I think it's interesting. And the way that the scientists are able to, to replicate these dinosaurs is by taking some of the DNA that's been trapped in amber, and uh, with that there, they produce all manner of dinosaurs and prehistoric animals and, and creatures. In this passage of Scripture, is captured for us some of the DNA of what that early church would have looked like. And I want to talk about that because here, here I believe is the answer or the key to help us live this life victorious and with great joy. And I know this morning that that is really what you want. I know that that's why you're here. Because you want some kind of help, some kind of guidance, some kind of instruction that will help you live a victorious Christian life. And so the very first thing that we recognize here is that the early church was a family. If you were part of the early church, if you were a Christian, then you automatically became part of the family. Look what it says there in, in verse 9. Are you okay? Uh, I, John, your brother, this is this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos, Let's stop there. I'm your brother, and I'm your partner. The church 
was considered a family. If you became a Christian, then you became part of an eternal family, a family that would last forever. And you had the hope that if something happened to you, if you should die, if you should, if you should lose your life, that someday you would live eternally with Jesus as part of his family. That's what it meant to become part of the church. That's what it meant to become a Christian. Christians, John says, are in fact partners, brothers, sisters, co-citizens of the kingdom. He says here, what defined partnership according to John? Well, some pretty shocking words here. Are you ready for this? Because this is not something that you hear too often. And you definitely don't hear it too often in North American pulpits. But the thing that marked the partnership or the family was that they suffered together for the faith. Did you know that? They lived as citizens of the kingdom. They lived by the constitution of the kingdom. If anybody wants to know what the constitution of the kingdom is, I invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. You read the preamble to the constitution, what we call the Beatitudes. This is, what the, this is how the early church lived. They were, they were co-citizens of the kingdom. They were, they were part of a family. They, they operated according to a code. You could tell, listen to this, you could really tell the difference between somebody who was a Christian and somebody who was not. I wonder today if the people who know you would recognize the difference and would understand that, yes, you are a Christian, not just because you say you're a Christian, but because of the way that you live your life. John talks about them having suffering in common. He talks about them living as part of the kingdom. And look at this. They're partners in patient endurance, which, John says, Jesus called us to. Are you patiently enduring? Are you following Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Or is it just a big trial and you just can't be bothered with it? Things don't go right. Jesus, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. How can you not answer my prayer? Well, if you can't answer my prayer, it's over. Those who are part of the family, those who call themselves citizens of the kingdom, understand that they've been called to patiently endure and wait for Jesus. The early days of the Pentecostal movement, guess what? It was successful. It was powerful. It was life-transforming. It was society-transforming. Why? Because these early believers of the Pentecostal movement understood that suffering and persecution and patient endurance was part of what it meant to follow Jesus. And somewhere over the past hundred plus years, We've forgotten that. Go back 2,000 years to the early church and you'll find exactly the same thing. You'll find that there were believers who understood that suffering was going to be part of the Christian formula. It's going to be part of the Christian equation. But nobody wants to hear that. Pastor, talk to me about how I'm going to get rich. That's the part I like. Pastor, tell me about how I'm never going to ever have a problem and how my kids will never struggle. Tell me, Pastor, about the parts where 
I've got angels living on my doorstep, and I'm, I'm free of any problems. Tell me that part, Pastor. Don't tell me about the suffering part. Surely that was not for our era. Yeah, see, this is exactly the problem, is that we want a Christianity on our terms, and we think, listen to this, we think that this world is our home. Hello? How many know today this world is not your home? Hello? <laughs> Do you know that? We are fixated on the things of this world, so most of us are not even looking forward to heaven. Just wait till there's a little bit more shaking and a few more tornadoes going through, folks, and heaven's going to look a lot sweeter. Hello? You see what I'm saying today? God forbid that that's what it takes for us to get our eyes off the things of this world. And yet this early church, this family, this early family called the church understood that they were looking forward to something better. They were looking forward to another city. Hallelujah. <laughs> How many looking forward to that day? I know I am. Yeah, that's what they were looking forward to. And I'm going to tell you, if you're trying to understand Christianity through the filter of this world, I'm telling you, Christianity, not only will it not make sense to you, but it will look downright ridiculous and stupid. But if your heart has been touched by God and you understand that what happens on this earth is not the sum total of your Christian experience and your relationship with God, then you'll understand what it means to be part of the family. Now, you show me someone. I just made a list here. You show me someone who doesn't understand that you're part of a family when you became a Christian. And I'm going to show you someone who is constantly church hopping and church shopping. You show me somebody who doesn't understand that when you became a Christian, you became part of a family. And I'm going to show you someone who believes church is all about programs. We do have programs here, but that's not what defines us. What defines us is that we're a family. It's my brother and sister sitting here. They were just born, just what, two years ago? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But they were. They were born again not that long ago. They're young brother and sister. I'm thrilled to call them my brother and sister. We're family. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> You're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. <laughs> you show me someone who doesn't understand that they're part of a family, I'm going to show you someone who makes no effort to show any hospitality, who never invites anybody into their home except their own family. You show me someone who doesn't understand that they're part of a family, and I'm going to show you someone who only fellowships with family members, who refuses to join a small group, is more concerned about pleasing family than pleasing Jesus, refuses to get involved in ministry, thinks only of himself or herself, what's in it for me? And doesn't understand that, that they're called to serve. We, we try desperately to come up with ways to get people to come to our church and stay in our church and don't, you know, we, we talk about closing the back door so people will come through the front doors and stay with us. Listen to me. I, I can stand on my head. I can do cartwheels. I can pull rabbits out of hats. Well, I can't do that one. But I, there's a lot of things that I could do to try to get you to stay and, and try to establish all these programs. I saw one church in Florida advertising that they had over 160 ministries in their church. And that was the way that they were to get you to go to their church. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to tell you about any programs. I'm going to tell you is this, is that we would love to have you as part of our family. 
And that's the basis, that's the foundation for a growing church, is that you, you understand that we're in relationship with each other. And if you'd like to be part of my family, I'd be thrilled if you'd be part of my family. Because we're family here. And everything that we do here comes or issues forth from our family. Our, our week, our week, uh, week college program, our, our boot camp, WM, men's ministry, the roundup, it all comes because that's what the family feels that we need to do. So don't sit back and say, well, what's in it for me? Stand up and say, how can I serve the family? How can I be a part of the family? John understand that. John, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom. Oh, I love that. This is what defines what the church is. Now, you'd be happy if I stopped right there and I didn't go further because what com- what's coming now is going to be very uncomfortable. And so I just need to ask your permission. May I continue? Are you sure? You're not going to like it. Are you sure? Yeah? Uh-huh. Revelation 1.9b. He says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. So far you say, That's, I'm, okay, I'm cool with that. It's not a problem so far. John says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Guess what, people? Persecution is not the exception. It's the norm for those who decided to follow Jesus. In fact, we're told in the scripture that persecution was a regular part of what it meant to follow Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says here in Mark 10, 29 to 30. He says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers and sisters, mothers and children. We just talked about that, right? This new family. When someone says, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I I can't count them all. (laughs) Really, I can't count them all. A hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And, And then he says this. Ready? Along with persecutions. Nobody's saying amen or hallelujah. So you become part of this family, and then Jesus says, and not only do you get the family, but you're also going to get, and this is wonderful, you're going to get persecutions. And in this age to come, eternal life. Wow. Hallelujah. Persecution was what marked the early church. In fact, we read right in the very first months of the early church, Acts 8.1, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The early church, right off the bat, and they're experiencing persecution. Great wave, it said. 
so much so that it actually scattered the church. It'd be like a wave of persecution coming through Winnipeg, and, and all of you scattering across Canada because of it. Get that image in your head. And why? Well, John says, because of preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. That's what causes persecution. Guess what? Nothing has changed. And here's the thing. If in your Christian life you're not experiencing persecution, then there's a good chance that probably you're maybe being a little bit of an undercover agent in the kingdom. Problem is, (laughs) is there's nothing in the Bible about being an undercover agent for God. Hello? Uh, Maybe in the book of Hezekiah. I don't know. Moira, is that in there? (laughs) Hezekiah? Oh, it's not one of the books. Oh, nuts. (laughs) Persecution, Jesus tells us. Jesus himself told us that persecution would be part of the Christian equation. Now, we're not called to avoid persecution. How many know that today? We're called to be faithful in proclaiming the word of God And just share the testimony about Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do for us, people? He died on the cross for my sins. He died for me because I am a sinner in need of God's grace. I am a sinner separated from God, bound for an eternity called hell. But Jesus comes along and says, I love Alan too much. And I don't want to be separated from him for eternity. And Jesus says to his Father in heaven, I will gladly go to the cross. I will gladly go and do what you call me to do, Father. And Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Guess what, people? I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Is anybody coming with me? That's what I want to know. Hallelujah. I'm going. Are you going? Are you going? Can I say this today? If you're not sure whether you're going or not, you really need to talk to me real quick and real soon. And I'll be waiting around here after the service. You come talk to me, and I'll pray with you, and I can make sure. I'll pray with you and make sure that you'll be coming with me to heaven. Persecution, Jesus says, is part of it. Now, I want you this day. What's the date today? It's Sunday, August the 28th, and you can write this in the Bible because I'm going to make a prophecy now. And if my prophecy doesn't come true, then the Bible says you can stone me. But here it is. Ready? Sunday, August the 28th, 2011, Pastor Allen said this. The persecution is going to hit us again real soon. It is coming. And you could say, well, why would they, why would they persecute us? We're doing such good things. This is, this is something we just cannot get through our heads, people. This world and the powers of darkness that are behind this world and this world system hate Jesus. Hates Jesus. Why? 
You never hear an attack on Buddha or the Dalai Lama, on Hinduism or any other religion. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. And Satan hates you and me and knows that the reason or the way to get to the heart of the Father is to drag us with him to his eternal doom. Read about it at the end of Revelation. That's why Satan does everything in his power to attack the church, the true church, mind. Churches are following, falling all over themselves to try to be relevant and to be acceptable to our culture. How many know today that Jesus did not call us to be relevant or to be acceptable to our world? How many know that today? We are a stumbling block to this world. We are a thorn in the side of this world. We are a pain in the neck. Why? Because of what we stand for, because of what we believe. And Satan hates it. And so, my friends, you are going to experience persecution and suffering. And I will say that it's, it will be around, this is, what I'm, this is what I believe. I believe that the majority of the persecution that will come to us as believers will, will most likely be related to the subject of homosexuality because of what the Bible says against it. Now, don't anybody go run out of here and get on the phone and call the newspaper and say, Pastor Allen is putting down homosexuals. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible is opposed to it. Does that mean we hate homosexuals? Absolutely not. But guess what? We are a collection of people who needed to be ransomed and saved by Jesus Christ. We're all in this together, all equally in need of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, there's nobody being singled out here for special judgment. My Bible says that all who do not surrender their lives to Jesus Christ are subject to the judgment that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. Let me just close with this third thing that we recognize about the early church. He says this, and this, is really, this really intrigued me as I was studying this. I love the way that he words this. It says, on the Lord's day, read that with me, verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. They just stopped there for a moment. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Did you say that with me? On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Now, can I just say something to you right now? This sounds like almost like foreign language to us in the year 2011. In John's day, a believer would have understood full well what that meant. The Lord's day was a day set apart for worship. One in seven set apart for connecting with God, for intimacy with our Father in heaven. Can I just say this to you today? If you've lost your zeal, if you've lost your passion, your excitement, your fire, if you've lost the joy of your salvation, could it be that it's been a while since you've spent some intimate time with God in the Spirit? Look, I don't want to get into a theological debate and say that you have to speak in tongues when you do this. 
What I, what I believe John is saying without question is that he is enjoying an intimacy with God that is supposed to be the norm for all who follow Jesus. When's the last time that you can say you enjoyed that intimate time with God? Because this is what God wants for you. He wants you to enjoy him. In fact, the, the, the great creeds of the church state clearly that the full purpose of man is to do what? To enjoy God forever. If you're not enjoying God, people, you're doing something wrong. You're just not doing it right. God has called you for, for an intimate relationship with him. This faith that's yours is not just a, a cold collection of facts and data and doctrines. It's about relationship. We're called for a relationship with each other in this family, and we're called for a relationship with God. You know what? I'll just close with this. Over the years, I've been in the ministry now, almost 30 years 30 years and I can tell you I've been to a lot of pastors conferences I've read hundreds of books about the church about church growth about church planting about how to grow and how to develop and what they always try to do the author will try to do what the experts will try to do is they'll try to refer back to the early church Refer back to what they did in the early church, and then they'll try to tell us we've got to replicate it. We've got to do what they did in the early church. What they don't talk about is the centrality of a relationship that we have with one another. What they will not talk about is the persecution that's guaranteed to all who follow Jesus. And what they don't talk about is that intimate spiritual connection that you have to the Father. These are the things, my people, that are going to bring a new fire, a new enthusiasm, a new excitement to your soul. Do you want to be on fire once again? Do you want to get the power back? Do you want to get the joy back? Do you want to get the enthusiasm back? You remember when you first became a Christian, you couldn't help yourself telling everybody who would listen or wouldn't listen about what Jesus had done for you. You want to get that back? Then re-engage with the family of God. Get reconnected with one another. Start inviting people to your house. Pastor, I've never invited anybody to my life, to my house before. Do it and watch what happens. Invite me over. <laughs> I'm too terrified. Look, I got holes in my sock just like everybody else. I just, I'm just a normal guy. Get re-engaged, people. Invite people into your home. Get reconnected. Embrace your family. This is your family. Look at the person beside you. That's your brother. That's your sister. This is your family, people. You want to get the fire back? Embrace the people around you. You want to get the fire back? Start doing what John did. Start telling people about what Jesus has done for you. Start sharing with people what you believe. Ah, you're going to get a bit of persecution. But you know what? In the midst of the persecution, there's someone who's going to say, I've been waiting for you to tell me what I needed to hear. Thank you. All the persecution in the world is worth leading one person to Jesus. Want to get the fire back? 
get alone with God. Just the two of you. None of this 15 minutes while I'm driving to work, reading my daily bread and keeping my eyes on the road. None of that. That's not intimacy with God. That's just lunacy. <laughs> Christian lunacy. Get alone with God. So you can say at the end of all, man, I was in the Spirit. God spoke to my heart. I heard the voice of God. You do that, and you'll have a fire in your bones. And people are going to say to you, did you just get saved? (laughs) Did you just become a Christian? You're going to say, no, I've been a Christian for a while. I just came back to life. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you this morning. For your presence here. God, I believe that you want to touch our hearts. You want to transform us. You want to get us ready for the fall so that we as a church can continue to do great, mighty, exciting, thrilling things for your glory and honor. But God, we know that at the end of the day, the most important thing is that our relationship with you is what it needs to be that our relationship with one another is what it needs to be because of all the programs and all the missions and all the trips and all the money that we raise, it's all quite hollow if we don't have relationship with each other and most importantly, relationship with you. God, we just commit ourselves to you right now asking that you be glorified and honored in our lives and glorified and honored in this church. God, I pray that if there are any here today who are broken, hurting, maybe offended, that maybe something I've said, if there are any here not sure about their eternity, where they're going to spend eternity, God, before this day is done, may they take the time to talk to me, drop me a line, an email, a text, but may they make the connection so that their hearts may be set free in Jesus' name. And we commit ourselves to you now and ask that this week would be the best week ever. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me.